Uh, let's pull out our programs, our Bibles, or our apps and jump into our text for today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at John chapter 15. It should be printed in your programs. And we have a little bit of ground to cover because as Pastor Tom mentioned, our series starts next week. We just kind of came out of one. And today is kind of a, an isolated message. And so I'm going to do my best to help us to see why and where we're going to be landing. And so John chapter 15, I'll read our text for us and then I'll pray and then we'll dig into God's word. John chapter 15, starting from verse 1. This is Jesus talking to his disciples in what's called the upper room discourse or soon after before he's about to be handed over to be betrayed. He speaks to his disciples and he says, and starting from verse 1, it's the reading of God's word. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. For by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Amen. It's reading God's word. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you humbly, opening your word, asking your spirit to move and speak in the way that only he can. Father, we are weary, we are tired. In any given week, we have burdens, struggles, sins, anxieties. And we thank you even as we sang today that we can bring it all to you. That there is rest for weary souls found in Christ. And so as we hear from your word, may that be what we find today. May we find rest and strength uh, for today and for the rest of this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you've been attending for more than a few weeks and it's been a joy to see some new faces. We had a welcoming lunch recently and hopefully uh, it was helpful for some of you that are new. But whether you're new or not, you might have noticed I haven't preached in at least two months or so. Uh, and if you're newer, this might be the first time you're seeing me up here. And I promise it's not because I just went on vacation or I'm being a bad pastor or neglecting my pastoral duties. But the reality is last year around summertime, I shared with our pastoral staff like, hey, I've been feeling pretty dry spiritually. Now, you might be thinking, what kind of excuse is that? I feel <laughs> dry from my work all the time. I don't just take breaks. So I promise you, this wasn't just the type of dryness that people normally go through that can be changing on any given week. But it was a much more drawn out, deeper, profound type of dryness that I quite frankly think happened ever since like my junior year in college. So a little over a decade. And it was this long, drawn out dryness that I was kind of feeling eating away at me. And I tried to describe it to them. I said, it feels like I'm like ministering and preaching from like a well that is getting progressively more and more empty. And if you don't know, I'm a pastor's kid. So I told them, I can do it though. <laughs> I can keep going. I can grind. That's what I do, right? Like pastor's kids, we're hardwired to be professional Christians. Like as bad as it is, and this might be enlightening to some of you in your Christian walk, or it might be calling you out. I could be in deep sin and you think I'm the godliest person ever. That's just what we are as church people. 
But I shared that with them, and so uh, we kind of came to the conclusion, it'd be nice to, uh, to take a little bit of a break to recalibrate and find renewal. And thankfully, I was afforded that. And so I've been taking uh, around seven weeks off of preaching. And a few months ago, I actually started seeing a spiritual director as well, if you don't know what that is. It's essentially kind of like a spiritual Christian counselor that helps you kind of assess, like, how are you doing with God? And me, like five years ago, I would be so opposed to something like that. But I thought, hey, I want to do everything I can to kind of fill my tank. And so to help process, I've been doing that. And as I've been processing and reflecting, I realized a large part of the reason why I felt so dry was because there were areas about myself or things about myself and areas of my life that I felt I needed to be better at. I need to be better. I need to be a better husband. I need to be a better friend. Or I need to be a better son. Or I, I need to be a better Christian. And those are all good things, but I realized as I was reflecting, the weight of all those things that I feel like I needed to change and be better at, and I was responsible to better myself in these things, it just depleted me from the inside out. And I wonder if you can relate to this feeling. This feeling and burden that you have to be better, and you need to change things about yourself. And as our church is growing, the problem with that mindset, though, is as life comes at you, the things you need to be better at, it's going to grow exponentially. Whereas before, you just needed to be a better friend. Now you've got to be a better husband. Now you've got to be a better father. Now you've got to be a better community and whatnot. And your strength and willpower to actually do those things diminishes, doesn't it? And so we're in a conundrum. And so that's why I think it's not surprising to see, especially for Christians, what makes it worse is it's compounded by this fact that we feel like, but that's what God wants from us. God wants us to be better. God wants us to serve more. And God wants us to be more loving. And so it's almost kind of lighter fluid to people who already feel like they need to be better. Now for Christians, we think, I have to do it because that's what God wants. And I think specifically in our context... I think we, some of us can't help but live life with this approach for two kind of reasons I realize. You know, I know I've come to know our members fairly well. Number one is we are highly competent people. Most of us can handle most of life's problems on our own. And what that does, as we've been hearing from the sermon series we just ended, it forms your understanding of how you approach Christianity. And so even though you say that there is a Jesus and that you need him, the reality is you depend on yourself to fix your problems. You're functionally your own savior. But number two, a lot of us grew up in Asian culture. I think right or wrong about that, that's just a simple reality. And the Asian culture, this reality is you're just, you're never good enough. <laughs> you always have to do better. You always have to be better. So there's this invisible pressure we naturally feel because the way we've been raised, despite what we might hear from the pulpit and the gospel, that's really our DNA inside. We are highly competent and we always feel the need to be better. And the problem with this do, be, do better and be better approach to life, if you're tracking with me, it is exhausting. It is absolutely exhausting. That's why I think there's so many Christians in our context, are, they aren't joyful. They're not content. Ask yourself, as a Christian sitting here today, are you filled with joy and contentment in the Lord? No. Most people I talk to, and I think COVID had a part to do with it, the length of the season had a part to do with it. But the reality is one way or another, the way we are approaching Christianity has led us to be burnt out and overwhelmed. If you peel back the layers of all the fakeness that everyone has, I think the reality is everyone is spent for more reasons than one. Some people know why, some people don't know why, but the reality is a lot of people are spent. And here's the thing. Why would someone who doesn't know Christ be attracted to a faith 
that seems to drain and burn someone out even more than in their life without Christ. <laughs> Does that make sense? And this burdened me a lot because the past seven weeks I was afforded the opportunity to not have to preach the word but to sit under it, to really look into it. And the Bible actually paints a picture of Christianity that is supposed to lead to freedom and joy and give you strength to face life's hardships with more peace, not less peace, than if you were to face it as a non-Christian. As I was just sharing all these thoughts to my spiritual, I was just vomiting all these things. And he said something very simple that kind of uh, inspired the launching pad for today's message. He said, you know, the problem, Sam, for a lot of Christians, and it's not something crazy. It's just many of us believe in Christ to save us. But then we just go right back to shifting and believing in ourselves to now sustain ourselves and to fix ourselves. Like Christ is a he did that back then type person. But here and now, it's not Jesus, it's me. And he nuanced it another way. He said, in other words, we believe that Christ saves us. But for some reason, we believe it is now our duty to prove that his choice for us, of us, was a good one. And that is burdensome. In other words, deep down, if our understanding of Christianity is to be better and do more, no wonder we've totally missed the point and burned ourselves out. So what's the alternative? How did I end up that way? How maybe have some of you ended up that way? And what paradigm shift do we need to relate to Jesus in a way that doesn't fundamentally drain us but fills us instead? And that's where our text today comes in. In our text, Jesus gives a very powerful image and description, which I think kind of debunks the be better version of Christianity with instead what I think is the true message of Christianity. And there is so much going on in this text. It could be a series in itself, but I wanted to distill it to what I think is the main exhortation. And the point of the message is this, if you're a note taker, to experience true change, rest, and joy in Christ, we must abide in Jesus. Abide. Abide. Now to break that down, number one, well, what does that even mean? What does it mean to abide in Jesus? Two, why should we abide in Jesus? Can you convince us of that? And thirdly, very briefly, so what does that look like practically? How do we do that? So number one, what does it mean to abide? It's a maybe familiar term if you grew up in the church, but... The simple definition to abide, it translates to mean to remain in something, to stay and to dwell and to continue in something. So when Jesus says, abide in me, what is the context that he says it? Well, to understand the imagery of the text, in ancient Israel, there were vines and grapevines and vineyards and branches and trees everywhere. Like if you walked out of here in Buena Park High School, you would just see vines, vineyards, and you would see fruit blossoming from the branches. So he's using this picture that is very visceral for the disciples. And he's saying this very straightforward analogy and allegory in verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And I spent all this time studying vine and vineyards to just realize I didn't need to study it because the point is so simple anyone could understand. Here's the obvious point and truth. Branches are utterly and totally dependent on the vine for life. That's the simple, simple truth. A branch has no sustenance, no capacity, and no vitality in itself. A branch's strength, nutrition, and growth depends utterly and entirely on its connection to something or someone else, namely the vine. In other words, a branch has to abide and it has to remain in the vine. And if it does not, it dies. There's only two options. Either a branch is connected and it is alive and it will bear fruit, or it is disconnected and it is dead. There's no sort of alive branches. And with that in mind, Jesus gives his exhortation in verse 4 to 5. 
he says, with that in mind, abide in me and I in you. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I have been wrestling all week to try to understand what this actually means. Like, a lot of us, maybe if you grew up in the church, don't you, like, there's a lot of stuff that Jesus says that you're just like, hmm, that sounds, that sounds nice. But when you actually take the time to actually wrestle with it and want it to mean something, it's weird. Right? Like, Jesus says some crazy things in Scripture, like, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. And when I see people be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I'm like, that's weird. You should challenge it. You should use every capacity you have to try to really wrestle that out. So I was praying because if you're like me and you're feeling dry, there seems to be some sort of answer in this text or some sort of key to spiritual life. And so I've been begging God, please help me grasp what's going on here. And there's at least two things I think I was able to observe. Number one, abiding in Jesus, it is a present reality and not a past event. Okay? It is a present reality. The word abide here, Jesus says, don't abide back then. He says here and now in the present tense, which implies an ongoing present connection that Jesus is talking about. You see, for so many of us, what we've been taught is the key and road to spiritual vitality is you look back at the cross. You look back at a historical Jesus who walked the earth 2,000 years ago. And to live the Christian life is now you look back then. You look at how he lived and now you imitate him. And while there is some truth and value to that, the reality is I've tried that. And it falls short because it sounds a lot like look back at Jesus, look how he lived, and now be better. Do better. Be more like him. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. He doesn't say now imitate me or be like me. He's saying your fundamental relationship with me is be connected to me. Like the branch is connected to the vine. Jesus is talking about a present, real, spiritually nourishing connection. And that is good news for us drained people. Because he's saying when you get it and the spirit really helps you to understand this, there's more than just playing the Christian game. There is something very real that can happen when you're in relationship with Jesus. Let me say that again to drill it in. Real Christianity, it is actual connection with Jesus as the life-giving vine. And the reason I keep repeating it is because I don't know what that means. I have to admit, it's something I'm still trying to wrestle in my own life. But I can't help but think it must mean at the very least, number one, that means Christianity is not just a way of thinking. Like doctrine. Or I'm just taught the right things about God. It's not even just a way of living. Like I need to follow God's commands or I need to be moral or serve a lot. But biblically grounded in this text, it seems to also say... There is an experiential element to Christianity that is fundamental and essential to how Jesus intends to relate to his people. And I think a lot of us are missing out on that. Our heads believe stuff about God. Our hands do stuff for God. But our hearts are sapped because we do not understand what that is. And for me, maybe it's because I'm not naturally charismatic. Maybe I'm very skeptical of the experiential realm. But if you take this picture for what it is, the relationship that a branch has to the vine, it is much more intimate and connected than just knowing about Jesus or just following Jesus. Let me give an example. I'm going to broaden this out a little bit, but only because it's been weighing on my heart a lot. 
So I have a few pastor friends on Facebook. They have ministry partners in Ukraine. And I know I went zero to 100 a little bit. But this has just been really what's on my heart the past couple of weeks. And so they'll regularly post updates and share prayer requests about how their ministry partners and pastors are doing in Ukraine. And obviously, I'm sure many of us are burdened for what's going on over there. At the very least, it's, uh, it's a, a lot of them are without food. A lot of them are without water, electricity. It's getting harder and harder for supplies to get in. And so I'm reading these things and I'm feeling burdened. And I, I'm asking God, I'm asking God, God, can you do something? What are, can we help them? What's going on? And I was so comforted when I read this because what the Bible is saying is even if they're hiding out in basements and bombs are flying over the sky and they're without food or clothing, Jesus is saying the warmth of my presence is with them. I am with my people, as they abide in me. The inner security, peace, and comfort that they need, it is available abundantly in me. Not 2,000 years ago, but right now. Now this example might seem so far-fetched beyond our present reality. But I hope you realize that that's what Jesus offers us as his people. He doesn't primarily want your deeds or your service. He wants to give of himself to you to provide you all that he is for whatever unique situation or struggle you find yourself in. And the promise of this text is that the ever-present risen Christ who is alive and breathing and kicking today offers himself to you right now. And that's too much to take for some of us. It's a lot easier for me to just tell you do this, do that, do this, do that than the overflowing living water of Jesus wants to Fill your parched soul. What that means is some of you guys, when you're feeling down and depressed or that no one understands or cares about you, it means that Jesus is ever-present and he's providing you comfort and compassion as you abide in him. If you're feeling lost and confused in life or there's decisions looming before you and you're thinking, man, what do I need to think about or what do I need to do? Jesus is saying, at the very least, I am your peace. I will be your peace as you abide in me. Or if you're experiencing suffering and hardship, please recognize Jesus is not just a nice idea. He's not just a puzzle person who just orchestrates things. But he is present and sympathizing with you as you abide in him. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. I think there's so much to talk about there. The first observation again, to abide is to be intimately connected with the risen Christ in real time. The second observation, without abiding in Jesus, we cannot truly bear fruit. Obviously, as I read the text, you might have noticed there's two main themes, abide, 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 and bear fruit, bear fruit, bear fruit, bear fruit. And this idea of bearing fruit, obviously, it's a loaded one. But let me distill it to say in the New Testament context, it's safe to say by fruit. It's talking about maybe like the fruit of the spirit, spiritual fruit. So to bear fruit means to be uh, displaying in your growing capacity to be loving, joyful, peaceable, patient, kind, gentle, etc. In other words, to grow in Christ-likeness because he is the perfect embodiment of these fruit. And where do I get this from? Look at the second part of verse 5. This has been one of the most puzzling parts of this text for me. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you cannot bear fruit. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. What does that mean? This is puzzling because Christians and non-Christians alike, apart from Jesus, we could still do stuff. And for that matter, we could still even do good stuff. And you know what is so scary to me, uh, we have a volunteer service and I share this with the volunteers. It is possible for you to be doing stuff for Jesus, but be doing it apart from Jesus. And Jesus is saying that is nil. 
That is not true, genuine fruit. And he's literally saying, he's not mincing words, if you aren't connected to me, you can't do anything. Now let me use a very silly illustration to kind of illustrate what I think he's saying. Imagine there's someone in the church, uh, or just someone in general, that you just really don't like. Boom, face pops up, name pops up, okay. And you just have a hard time getting along with, you can't stand them, you don't click well, you don't mesh well, you have no common interest, you get annoyed when they're around you, but then in your head, boop, the Bible pops up and the Bible says, hey, you have to love your enemies, you have to love those who are hard to love. And so you say, okay. So you do the good Christian thing and you start to say, here's what it means to love. I'm going to force myself to hang out with them. I'm going to force myself to engage in small talk. I'm going to force myself to go through a long night eating dinner with them. And then after that, you tell yourself, I did the right Christian thing. And then you go to your friends and you share how rough it was and how much you don't like that person. <laughs> in other words, you changed your external behavior to give the appearance of love. But here's the thing. You haven't actually loved at all. You haven't grown at all in your heart. And I think that's how a lot of us approach our Christian obedience. But let me ask you, is that really bearing spiritual fruit? Think about that. Do you know what that's like? That is like going to Ikea. And in Ikea, there's these beautiful fake plants, very low maintenance. And there's this beautiful fake plant with little plastic grapes attached to it. And you say, beautiful fruit. It's fake. <laughs> it's not real. It plays the part, but it, it never grows. There's never genuine organic life to it. It just plays the part. Is that really fruit? Obviously not. It definitely looks like it, but it's not coming from a genuine overflow of the heart. And I have lived my Christian life that way for so long. Getting grapes, stapling it to this dead branch that I call myself and saying, look at my fruit. That's not the life-giving relationship Jesus is talking about. And this applies to every situation where we are called to bear fruit. In, in marriage, in friendship, in community, as Christians, there is a self-reliant, non-abiding way to just mere external obedience. And then there's the spirit-filled, Jesus-abiding way towards genuine growth and obedience. So obviously Jesus is saying you literally can't do anything. He's saying apart from being connected to me as the vine and abiding in me, there's no way that you can actually internally, organically, and genuinely bear spiritual fruit. And if you're a genuine Christian sitting here today, that's what we want most. You know why? Because that's what's pleasing to God. God is not pleased by plastic fruits everywhere that give the appearance of his name. But in the reality, we're just defaming it. Apart from Jesus, especially even people at our church, we have an amazing capacity to begrudgingly force ourselves to do loving things without ever growing in love. You realize that? Growth in love only comes from the vine. You know why? Because here's a snapple fact. You're not a loving person. You need to tap outside of yourself to get something that you aren't. And I think for a lot of us, the self-reliant forced version of love has prevented us from being able to truly grow in the spirit and bear fruit. Because we are not genuinely abiding and growing in Jesus. Now a lot can be said, but in summary then, to abide in Jesus, to be connected to him today. Not just back then when you were saved. And to be connected in a way where you cannot help but bear fruit. Because a branch attached to a vine will bear fruit. That's the first point. But the second is, so what? Why should I care about this? If I'm not a Christian, what, what are you even saying? Why should I abide in Jesus? Second point, why should we abide? Now, I debated if I want to include this or not. 
but I'm coming from this season of Zen and seven weeks. And quite frankly, if it's in the word of God, I really don't care what people think because it's the truth. And so I will say it as lovingly and gently as possible. But the first and clearest reason that is simply unavoidable in the text of why we should abide, especially as people who profess ourselves to be Christian, is because if you are not abiding in Christ and you do not care that you aren't abiding in Christ, it probably means you're not Christian. That's what the text is saying. And it's not enjoyable to share that or even have that tone when I preach. But verse 6 straight up says, if anyone does not abide in me and does not bear fruit, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into fire and burdened. Now, I don't want to get into that too much, but that quite frankly means the people that look like they're attached to me, but they don't actually bear fruit, they don't actually care about the things of God, you are just as liable to judgment as the worst blasphemer or sinner. And in the context, I think for us, the text is mainly speaking to people who have been churched, who call themselves Christian, who might even have the appearance of being connected to Christ, but are not actually abide, abiding in him. And I, I promise you, I'm not sharing that to be harsh or to place judgment on anyone. But as a preacher of God's word and not man's approval or opinion, it's really unloving if I were to beat around the bush and make fake Christians feel safe and comfortable when in reality... If I can push back and ask, if you don't care about Jesus and what he has to say, and there is no fruit in your life that proves the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you, and the word of God carries zero weight and influence on how you think and how you live, I would just lovingly ask, on what basis then do you call yourself Christian? If the heart of Christianity is even a minuscule sort of existing love for Jesus. And that's what the text is saying. It's saying prove yourself as disciples at least some sort of fruit. So that's reason number one to almost, I would say, lovingly admonish us into realizing, man, am I really connected to Jesus? Because if I am, these things should be there. But is that the reason? That sounds kind of terrible. Just out of fear of judgment, I should abide. No, no, no. I think another more meaningful reason is if you look at verse 1, Jesus doesn't just say he is the vine. He calls himself the true vine. And I find that interesting. Now, I think there's theological reasons why he's saying that. But I think there is also a general reason that is being revealed, which is if Jesus is the true vine, it must mean by implication there are other false vines. And I'm going to go hard on this imagery, so please track with me here. I would argue using this analogy, because we are all branches by nature, it means that we all naturally cling to and abide in something. We will depend on something to find our hope to find our life, to find our meaning, to find our purpose. That's just how we are hardwired. The way you know what your vine is, is to ask yourself and identify, what is it that I turn to when things are tough? What is it that I invest all of my hope in, that I'm banking on to come through in my life? Let's use some obvious ones. So for some of you, maybe for a lot of us actually, your functional vine is finances and stability. And you know this because you are perpetually stressed out about your bank account, about your investments, about your income, about your retirement. Even though it's decades away and the Lord could very well return before it. But you think retirement is going to be like tomorrow. So that's all you really care about. Or for others of you, your vine, it's your reputation. You know this because your day is literally ruined when you think someone is thinking something about you. Or for some reason, you're overly elated because something is said about you and you think, oh, wow, that's so amazing. You're depending on that for life. For a lot of parents, and this is rarely called out. Actually, we do kind of call it out at our church. But I can say it because I'm a parent too now. It never starts this way. But your child 
becomes a very strong vine. Because their well-being consumes you. Their lives, their thoughts, your schedules, your spiritual and emotional health. And you know one spiritual reality I think parents we need to remember is you're called to steward over your child's life. They are not your God. You are to lead them to God. And that's something we need to remember. Your child is not your vine. Christ is your vine. And how you child, your parent your child should flow out of that. But if your ups and downs in your entire life is mirroring how your kids are, that is telling as parents. And here's the kicker. Maybe you're thinking, haha, none of those apply to me. I don't turn to any of those. I don't turn to anything actually. Here's the reality. You're your own vine then. Because you turn to yourself. You place all your dependence and trust on yourself that you'll pull through for yourself. The point is we all lean into and abide in something or someone to bring us life and deliverance. And in light of that reality, what Jesus is doing because he cares, he knows how we're wired. He isn't talking to neutral people and saying, hey, can you please abide in me? He's talking to abiding people and saying, how's that going for you? What fruit are you bearing by abiding in that vine that you're attached to? Now, by how's that going, whatever it is that's serving as your functional vine, I think you should put it to the test. Ask these three simple questions. Number one, does this vine give or take? Is this vine, by being attached to it, is it life-giving or life-draining? Number two, how lasting and secure is this vine? And third and last, what kind of fruit am I bearing and is being produced as a result of me being attached to this vine? So let's use the example of career, right? We're a big career-oriented church by nature. And, you know, when career becomes something not that we do, but something that consumes us and serves in our functional vine, question number one, the vine of career clearly is a drainer and not a giver. You know why? Have you ever seen someone by who idolizes their career and work say, I'm so joyful. I'm so filled with joy and freedom. No. They are all the more in this deep spiral of being consumed, being anxious, being stressed, performance evaluation. What's my next job going to be? What's my promotion going to be? And not only that, COVID made this very obvious, but even now, if you place your hope and your trust in life and career, what happens when you get laid off? What happens when you lose your job? It's not secure at all. But I would argue most importantly, what is the fruit of this fun? Do you become a more loving patient, joyful person as a result of being connected to the vine of career? Or do you find yourself, wow, what's sprouting out of this is anxiousness, frustration, depression maybe. And this applies across the board. We don't have time, but ask it to your functional vine. Because remember, we are branches. That's who we are. We are utterly at the mercy of the vine. This is just another way to say what Pastor Tom shared in this series. We are going to be formed. And if you don't attach yourself to Christ, you will attach yourself to something else. And what life will reveal is every single vine outside the true vine of Christ will fail in satisfying what we need as humans. Uh, I think one of the most telling realizations I made in the past several weeks, talking to a counselor or whatnot, has been um, acknowledging how needy I am as a person. You know, it's very humbling because, you know, we're very self-sufficient people. We like to admit that we're strong people. But do you realize most of your problems in life, whether personally, whether in marriage, whether it's in work conflict, is usually because you have a need that is not being met. You realize that? That is a very fundamental bottom out of the bottom. Here's why life is so terrible for you. You have these needs and someone or something is not meeting them. If all your needs were being met, you would be floating like a feather. 
But the reality is we're needy. We're so needy that no matter what this world and life and technology does, that cavern of need is not satisfied. And so that's why if we weren't needy, then the levels of depression, mental and emotional health would not be at an all-time high. They are because we're a needy people and the world can't satisfy that need. And that's a dangerous, scary thing to do. But if you deep down go inside, do you realize, man, we are an anxious, insecure, fearful self-condemning, overtly controlling at times, people-pleasing, acceptance-craving people, just to list a few. That's who we are. We are a cavern of need. And we want our wives or our husbands to fill that need. And we lash out when we don't get that. We want our work to fill that need. And obviously that's not going to work. Sometimes we even want church to fill that need. But here's the thing. The incredible complexity of the need that you have in life can only be filled by the true vine Jesus. And that's why he says you got to come to me. You have to abide in me. And when you abide and remain in me, it's a mutual relationship where all your junk, all your bitterness, all your burdens, all your burntness come to me. I'll take that. And in return, I give you the fullness of everything that I am and everything that I have. And I will now abide in you. The question that I think we should all ask, what need do you have currently and what need could you imagine having down the line that is not available to you in Christ? Think about that. What need do you have that Jesus does not offer to you to fix and deal with it? I love this line. Uh, one of my pastors that I've been leaning into a lot is his name, Pastor Ray Ortland, Because he's just like a, he's like a soft grandfather who just like oozes out grace. I just want him to hug me sometimes. But uh, videos will do. But uh, he, he, he was sharing. He was saying, when you abide in Jesus, there's three things he gives you that everybody wants but can't find in the world. And I love how he puts it. He says, first thing you get in abiding in Christ is you get freedom from yesterday. Wow. How many of us need that? All the stuff, the sin, the anger, the frustration that yesterday brought. He says, when you wake up in the morning by abiding in Jesus, you're freed from that. Two, he says, strength for today. How many of you guys wake up in the morning and you're just not looking forward to what is ahead of you? The conversations you have to have, the place you need to go, the kind of context you have to go to. Jesus says, I give you strength to endure those things. And third and lastly, a lot of us, you live in this age of uncertainty. You don't know what's going to happen. You get anxious. What's going to happen to my future? What's going to happen to my family? He says, you have hope for tomorrow. Freedom from yesterday, strength for today, hope for tomorrow. What else could you possibly need in this life? So why do we abide in Christ? Because where else can we go? Where else can we go when he alone is the all-satisfying eternal vine? And quick word, if you're not a Christian, I really encourage you, uh, find a more loving and compassionate, inviting and gracious Savior and vine. And we'll all go to him or her or whatever that might be. But the reality is... There is no one outside of Christ. And Jesus invites everyone, whether you've been drifting or you're not a Christian even today. So the recap, to abide means to remain connected because he alone is the true vine. Now very quickly, how do we do that? Uh, to do justice to the text, I'm not skimming over because it is important. But verse 7 through 9 makes it clear. The obvious and clear ways that you abide is you need to allow God's word to take root in your heart. 
You need to regularly be in prayer. You need to have a posture of obedience. But I want to close by getting a little more specific. In light of what I was saying, number one, I think I would encourage you all, identify your vine and weigh the fruit of the life that's coming from it these days. To be brutally honest with yourself and ask God to reveal what is your functional vine in your life. And oftentimes it's a good thing that you've turned into an ultimate one. And ask the spirit to honestly help you assess the state of your heart. Because what is the dominant fruit you are bearing these days? Are you growing in patience, love, and, and self-control and kindness? Or are you becoming a bitter, comparing, discontented person? That's usually a symptom of not abiding in Christ. And so that's the first step to identify the ways you've been disconnected by identifying the vine. The second, which it sounds so obvious, but I think has really, really important implications. I think the biggest step towards abiding in Jesus is to genuinely believe you are helpless. Like you cannot help yourself. You cannot fix yourself. An anxious person cannot make themselves less anxious. A frustrated person cannot make themselves less frustrated. A bitter person cannot save themselves from bitterness. In other words, you really need to realize, I need Jesus. Acknowledge your helplessness, tap into his power. And then third and last, this is hopefully the most practical. You need to discover what orients your heart towards Jesus and implement them regularly into your life. Um, I'm the product and victim of hype Christianity. And what I mean by that is my Christianity and my Christian walk in a 365-day year, it was really contingent on not a regular vine, but on sporadic vines. So what I would do is I would get a surge of energy from like retreats or surge of energy by going hard for Jesus. And I would vicariously try to live out the rest of the year based off that experience and that abiding. Abiding is much more about regularity and consistency than it is about the craze. You're not going to meaningfully grow and organically as your fruit. You know what that's like? That's like flooding your plant for a day and wondering why it's not growing and it's dying. That's not how plants grow. Plants grow by a regular, controlled, meaningful watering. And in that same way, you need to find what waters your heart and to orient towards Jesus and implement it regularly into your life. And it's been very simple for me. What it is is when I wake up in the morning, I am a cavern of bitterness because Ezra wakes up early. And you don't want to talk to me in the morning. So what I do now is I say, Jesus, even if I had a praise night last night and I felt your presence, today morning I'm the devil. <laughs> I definitely feel it. And so what I do to orient my heart is before anything else, I just put my AirPods in. Because I'm feeding Ezra milk or I'm doing my things. I just listen to two praise songs. Two praise songs to orient my heart. And I just do that every day. And what it does is it reminds me I need Jesus. Jesus is here with me today. He gives me strength for today. And I need to cling to him in all that I do. And that must be, before anything else, what your understanding of Christianity is. And if not, of course you cannot bear fruit. Because it's not coming from him. So as we consider it, I really do hope that our church becomes one that abides. And that our relationship is not just fabricated, but it's genuine in Christ. And I look forward to seeing how God works. So if I can invite the praise team up. And as you invite them up, lead us in just a quick time of prayer and reflection as we close. I guess the question I would ask is, in light of that, how has your abiding in Jesus been these days if you're a Christian? Do you feel connected to Jesus? Ask God to make this text real in your life. Right? The word of God tells us his words are living and active. They are not just words on a page, but they are genuinely spirit-filled. 
And don't you want that kind of life? That the flowing freedom and life and vitality of the vine can now come into your heart. That is a promise that is being offered if we would just ask for it. But if you're not a Christian, again, I would ask you to reflect, what has been your functional vine? And are you satisfied with the type of fruit that it's producing as a result? And if not, recognize that Christ is always inviting of even the worst of sinners, those who strayed the furthest. And so ask God to reveal these things to you to help us to turn away and turn towards him and abide him. So let's pray and then I'll close for us.